0: Good morning. I'm Donna Quinn, and for the next half hour, you'll be listening to Talk of Our Towns. The program I had prepared for today uh, is not working out because next uh, month, actually, uh, Talk of Our Towns is the first Thursday of each month now, and the guest needed to postpone it until December 3rd. So, Thursday, December 3rd, there will be a program that I had planned, and today we will be talking about how to calm ourselves during times of stress, the meaning and value of poetry, and how that can be so helpful to us. Um, First, I'd like to start off by reading a piece from the New York Times, thanks to Joanne Rideout, actually, for bringing that to my attention, by Tara Parker Pope, and it's 10 Steps to Calm Ourselves, because there is a lot of angst in our world right now. So this program hopefully will be a gift of healing and well-being for all of us. So, the New York Times, 10 Steps to Calm. Can't concentrate, losing sleep, binge eating your feelings. In a year of unprecedented stress, the nation collectively appears to be heading toward peak anxiety this week, which, of course, we are in now. People are sharing stories of stress eating, clearing their calendars, because who could sit through a Zoom meeting during a time like this? and threatening to stay in bed for a week. The stress has consumed both sides of the political aisle. A poll released by the American Psychological Association showed that 76% of Democrats and 67% of Republicans are finding the 2020 election to be a significant source of stress. And this article was written just a few days ago. We've had this unending momentum of a steady stream of stuff just going wrong since the beginning of March says the Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams, a meditation teacher and author of the book Radical Dharma. The groundlessness that people feel is not really something the human body was meant to sustain over long periods of time. While there's nothing you can do to speed election results or a coronavirus vaccine, you do have the power to take care of yourself. Neuroscientists, psychologists, and meditation experts offered advice about the big and small things you can do to calm down. Here are 10 things you can do to try to release anxiety, gain perspective, and gird yourself for whatever comes next. Number one, interrupt yourself. Interrupt yourself so you can shift your state, said Ms. Williams. Get your attention on something else. Focus on something that is beautiful. Get up, move your body, and really shift your position. I think people need to move away from wherever it is they are and break the momentum. Number two, focus on your feet. When you feel your stress level rising, try this quick, calming exercise from Dr. Judson A. Brewer, Director of Research and Innovation at the Mindfulness Center at Brown University. Take a moment to focus on your feet. You can do this standing or sitting with your feet on the ground. How do they feel? Are they warm or cold? Are they tingly, moist or dry? Wiggle your toes. Feel the soles of your feet. Feel your heels connecting with your shoes and the ground beneath you. It's a different way to ground yourself, said Dr. Brewer. Anxiety tends to be in your chest and throat. Your feet are as peripheral as you get from your anxiety zones. I also would recommend standing barefoot on the earth because you get the electromagnetic energy of the earth, and that's very helpful. Number three, move for three minutes. It just takes a short burst of exercise, three minutes to be exact, to improve your mood, says Kelly McGonigal, a health psychologist and lecturer at Stanford University, whose latest book is The Joy of Movement. Do jumping jacks, stand in box, do wall push-ups, dance. If you give me three minutes, it works, as long as you're moving your body in ways that feel good to you, said Dr. McGonigal, who suggests picking an inspiring song to get you moving any time you move your muscles and get your heart rate up. You'll get a boost in dopamine and sense yourself as alive and engaged. Movement for me is a way I sense my own strength and feel connected to hope and joy. Number four, tackle a home project. Get rid of clutter. Make a scrapbook. Get a new comforter. Hang artwork. It's not frivolous to do something like declutter, organize, or look around your space and think about how to make it a supportive place for you or anyone else you live with. It's one of the ways we imagine a positive future, said Dr. McGonigal, whose TED Talk on stress has been viewed nearly 24 million times. Anything you do where you take an action that allows you to connect, whether consciously or not, with this idea that there's a future you're moving toward, that's like a hope intervention. It's something you're doing now to look after your future self. Number five. Try five-finger breathing. This simple practice is easy to remember and is often taught to children to help them calm themselves in times of high stress. Dr. Brewer has created a video explaining the technique which works by engaging multiple senses at the same time and crowding out those worrying thoughts. So, step one, and you can do this right now. Hold your hand in front of you. Fingers spread. Using your index finger on the opposite hand, start tracing the outline of your extended hand, starting at the wrist, moving up the pinky finger. As you trace up your pinky, breathe in. As you trace down your pinky, breathe out. Trace up your ring finger and breathe in. Trace down your ring finger and breathe out. Continue finger by finger until you've traced your entire hand. Now, reverse the process and trace from your thumb back to your pinky, making sure to inhale as you trace up and exhale as you trace down. Number six, connect with nature. Spend time outside. Watch birds wander amid the trees. Take a fresh look at the vistas and objects around you during an AWE walk. Recent research shows that consciously taking in the wonders of nature amplifies the mental health benefits of walking. Numerous studies support the notion that spending time in nature and walking on quiet, tree-lined paths can result in meaningful improvements to mental health and even physical changes to the brain. Nature walkers have quieter brains. Scans show less blood flow to the part of the brain associated with rumination. Some research shows that even looking at pictures of nature can improve your mood. Our brains, it seems, prefer green spaces. One small study found that exercises exposed to the color green found it easier to exercise and were in a better mood than exercises exposed to gray or red. Number seven, rediscover your diaphragm. Many of us are vertical breathers. When we breathe, our shoulders rise and fall, and we're not engaging our diaphragm. To better relax, learn to be a horizontal breather. Inhale and push your belly out, which means you're using your diaphragm. Exhale and your middle relaxes. For a deep and somewhat complicated dive on belly breathing, gravitate measure and take this breathing IQ self exam from Melissa Vrainrich, a clinical psychologist and author of Breathing for Warriors. If you're breathing with your shoulders, she says, you're using auxiliary muscles, and you'll have a higher heart rate, higher blood pressure, and higher cortisol. Dr. Greenwich also says if you breathe diaphragmatically, you're more apt to be calmer. Number eight, enjoy distractions. Give your mind a break by watching a cat comfort a nervous dog online or check out the jellyfish cam at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. There are more fun diversions on the New York Times Interactive Election Distractor including a digital stress ball, a virtual emotional support dog, and Donald J. McNeil Jr., the Times Infectious Disease Reporter, giving you optimistic news about the coronavirus vaccine. Number nine, unleash the aromatics. Take a lavender foot bath, burn a scented candle, or spritz the air with orange aromatherapy. It's only a temporary reprieve, but it might just help you get through ongoing stress. A study of 141 pregnant women found that rubbing or soaking feet with lavender cream significantly reduced anxiety, stress, and depression. Another study of 200 dental patients found that orange or lavender aromatherapy helped them relax before treatment. Lavender baths lower cortisol levels in infants. Even antidepressants work better when combined with lavender therapy. Why does aromatherapy, particularly lavender, appear to have a calming effect? Some research suggests that lavender reaches odor-sensitive neurons in the nose that send signals to the parts of the brain related to wakefulness and awareness. And number ten, accept the present moment. Accepting the result of the election doesn't mean giving up if things don't go your way. In fact, you'll be more effective at pursuing change if you accept the situation. Our anxiety comes from the desire to have things be different, said Ms. Williams. There's going to be the day after the election and the day after that and the day after that. We need to be present to what is, regardless of the outcome you want. Thinking about history and those who have faced seemingly insurmountable hardships in the past can help you gain perspective, accept current events, and make plans to pursue change. My ancestors had to prepare themselves over and over again for moving toward a freedom that was nowhere in sight, said Ms. Williams, referring to black Americans. We prepare for life as it unfolds, not our ideal image of it. That is literally the only path forward. And again, this is in the New York Times. It was published November 2nd by Tara Parker Pope, Um, 10 Ways We Can Help Calm Ourselves. I'd also like to mention that um, I read a book entitled Breath, uh, and it is terrific. I recommend it for everyone. Everyone should read this book, I think, Um, by James Nestor. He is a, uh, a journalist, investigative reporter, and breathing through our noses is actually much better for us than mouth breathing. And there are some techniques in the book. I think it's a book you want to have in your library, and you can order it from your local bookseller. But Breath is a, is a marvelous book. It's a really powerful healing tool. Um, our respiratory system, of course, is also the one that is attacked by COVID. So um, healing breathing is a very important thing at this point in our lives. All right. Now, um, I would like to read a bit about poetry before we Here's some poems, which I hope will soothe and nourish us. I discovered Roger Housden. He is an author who has written many books um, with uh, poetry, uh, using other people's poetry. And, and of course, he explains things. It's, uh, you know, he has a 10-poems series. So he writes about why poetry is important and meaningful to us, especially during these very difficult times. Poetry is a concise and elemental means of expressing the deepest of human emotions. Joy, sorrow, grief, hope, love, and longing. It connects us as a people and a community. It speaks for us in a way few other forms of writing can do. When I was in the process of moving to Manhattan in 2001, in the weeks after 9-11, poems appeared on every available wall in the city. Yet even though I was so aware of poetry's power over the next ten years, while sitting alone in front of my computer finishing up another volume in my Ten Poems series, I would wonder at times whether I was wasting my time. After all, the world is in trouble. It's always been in trouble. Not only that, but we're also in trouble personally, too. Surely there must be something more useful, more pressing, to give my time to than reflecting on poetry. Couldn't I go start a project in Africa or do some small thing to prevent climate catastrophe, start reducing my own carbon footprint, begin a movement to encourage others to do the same? But, no, I wrote more poetry books, wondering all the while whether they and I were doing a little more than making ourselves progressively irrelevant. And again, this is author Roger Houseman. I know better, which is why I kept writing. I knew that great poetry has the power to start a fire in a person's life. It can alter the way we see ourselves. It can change the way we see the world. You may never have read a poem in your life, and yet you can pick up a volume, open to any page, and suddenly find yourself blown into a world full of awe, dread, wonder, marvel, deep sorrow, and joy. Poetry not only matters, it is profoundly necessary, especially in times of darkness and difficulty, both personal and collective. To read or write poetry is a powerful, even subversive act, and it is one small thing we can do that can make a very big difference. And then from a website I discovered online called The Culturium, this about poetry. Since time immemorial, human beings have understood the healing properties of sound and the way in which it transmutes the very soul. From the incantations of tribal shamans through the chants and mantras of Hinduism and Buddhism to the Gregorian plain song of early Christianity, oral vibrations have aligned the individual spirit with the omnipresent divine. The spoken rather than sung word is of no exception. A distilled sentiment or sensation encapsulated in the most concise of stanzas poetry is an immediate portal to the transcendental state, evoking visceral responses from the sublime through to the most ordinary of life's daily events. Roger Housden remarks, Poetry uses words that are known to all of us, but in a sequence and order that surprises us out of our normal speech rhythms and linear thought processes. Poetry uniquely combines imaginative power and conscious intelligence, inspiration and hard work, and its effect is to illuminate our lives and breathe new life, new seeing, new tasting into the world we thought we knew. Arguably, there have always been and always will be difficult times in the enfoldment of human destiny, and yet we appear to live life in an unprecedented time frame whereby suffering and conflict are perpetually promoted through online media platforms into which we are permanently plugged. Paradoxically, creative endeavor always flourishes during such periods of darkness and corruption, not least the art of poetry be it presented through an anthology of verse or a live recital performance or rap. Roger continues by saying poetry revitalizes the imagination. A hundred years ago when Yeats was alive, the imagination was far more of a common currency than it is today. The imagination today is under siege. Our political leaders, steeped in doublespeak and alternative facts, have brought George Orwell's 1984 closer than ever. No wonder the imagination is in danger of shriveling to the size of a pea. Imagination feeds on the smell of old tree roots, on conversation, on barking dogs, on the cries of children. Poetry's fuel is the imagination. It uses the things of this concrete world for its material and then reaches down into the layers of meaning that any object or person contains. Pablo Neruda wrote an ode to a lemon, to his socks, laziness to a tomato to salt and more poetry shows us that not just the gods but the humblest forms in the world can reveal enough truth and beauty to fill us with praise and awe a poem offers us a means of salvaging our weary souls and steering them to yonder shore a place where the luminescence of all the universe shines down upon us so that we open Poetry can give a human face to our collective struggles and remind us that this human world is not only broken, it is beautiful. There's a headstone in a Long Island graveyard, the one where Jackson Pollock is buried, that encapsulates the value and necessity of poetry in a world of sorrows. Artists and poets are the raw nerve ends of humanity. By themselves, they can do little to save humanity. Without them, there would be little worth saving. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Talk of Our Towns, and today the program is about how we can soothe ourselves during these challenging times and the power of poetry. I'm now going to read a piece by Jan Richardson, which is in one of Roger's Ten uh, ten Poems for Difficult Times, and the title of this poem is How the Light Comes by Jan Richardson. I cannot tell you how the light comes, What I know is that it is more ancient than imagining, that it travels across an astounding expanse to reach us, that it loves searching out what is hidden, what is lost, what is forgotten, or in peril or in pain, that it has a fondness for the body, for finding its way toward flesh, for tracing the edges of form, for shining forth through the eye, the hand, the heart, I cannot tell you how the light comes, but that it does, that it will, that it works its way into the deepest dark that enfolds you, though it may seem long ages in coming or arrive in a shape you did not foresee. And so may we this day turn ourselves toward it. May we lift our faces to let it find us. May we bend our bodies to follow the arc it makes. May we open and open more and open still to the blessed light that comes. Another poem from our wonderful Oregon poet, William Stafford, Cutting Loose. Sometimes from sorrow, for no reason, you sing. For no reason, you accept the way of being lost, cutting loose from all else and electing a world where you go where you want to. Arbitrary, a sound comes, a reminder that a steady center is holding all else. If you listen, that sound will tell where it is, and you can slide your way past trouble. Certain twisted monsters always bar the path, but that's when you get going best, glad to be lost, learning how real it is here on the earth again and again. A beautiful poem, which is always helpful, and especially now, I think, would speak, I hope, to all of you as it does to me, and that is The Piece of Wild Things by Wendell Berry. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought or grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world, and I am free. John O'Donoghue, a marvelous Irish poet who is unfortunately deceased, was a great friend of the Irish-British poet David White, whom I adore. And um, I'm going to read just a blessing um, piece from a book by John O. He wrote many blessings. Um, This is the time to be slow. Lie low to the wall until the bitter weather passes. Try as best you can not to let the wire brush of doubt scrape from your heart all sense of yourself and your hesitant light. If you remain generous, time will come good, and you will find your feet again on fresh pastures of promise where the air will be kind and blushed with beginning. And many of you are probably familiar with W.S. Merwin, um, Pulitzer Prize winning poet who is also unfortunately deceased. And here is a poem he wrote called Rainlight. All day, the stars watch from long ago. My mother said, I am going now. When you are alone, you will be all right. Whether or not you know, you will know. Look at the old house in the dawn rain. All the flowers are forms of water. The sun reminds them through a white cloud, touches the patchwork spread on the hill. the washed colors of the afterlife that lived here long before you were born. See how they wake without a question, even though the whole world is burning. (coughs) Of course, there are many marvelous poets. There's the poetry of Rumi, of Hafiz, and and a poem by Hafiz, which I think really speaks to our time now, is entitled, A Great Need. Out of a great need, we are all holding hands and climbing. Not loving is a letting go. Listen, the terrain around here is far too dangerous for that. We must, yes, hold on and nurture ourselves and be kind and compassionate to ourselves and to others, which requires, of course, forgiveness, allowing. I'd like to read a David White poem, This is a recent poem of his entitled The Bell and the Blackbird. The sound of a bell still reverberating, or a blackbird calling from a corner of a field, asking you to wake into this life, or inviting you deeper to one that waits. Either way takes courage. Either way wants you to be nothing but that self that is no self at all, wants you to walk to the place where you find you already know how to give every last thing away. The approach that is also the meeting itself, without any meeting at all. That radiance you have always carried with you as you walk, both alone and completely accompanied in friendship by every corner of the world crying, hallelujah. A book that I like very much also by David White is Consolations. It's um, a group of short essays that uh, he wrote for uh, the London Papers many years ago, and then he put them into a book entitled Consolations. And let me check the time here because I am doing this program in my kitchen and I have papers and books everywhere. So I'll read this little piece on vulnerability. Vulnerability is not a weakness, a passing indisposition, or something we can arrange to do without. Vulnerability is not a choice. Vulnerability is the underlying, ever-present, and abiding undercurrent of our natural state. To run from vulnerability is to run from the essence of our nature. The attempt to be invulnerable is a vain attempt to become something we are not, and most especially to close off our understanding of the grief of others. More seriously, in refusing our vulnerability, we refuse the help needed at every turn of our existence and immobilize the essential, title, and conversational foundations of our identity." To have a temporary, isolated sense of power over all events and circumstances is a lovely, illusionary privilege, and perhaps the prime and most beautifully constructed conceit of being human, and especially of being youthfully human, but it is a privilege that must be surrendered with that same youth, with ill health, with accident, with the loss of loved ones who do not share our untouchable powers powers eventually and most emphatically given up as we approach our last breath. The only choice we have as we mature is how we inhabit our vulnerability, how we become larger and more courageous and more compassionate through our intimacy with disappearance. Our choice is to inhabit vulnerability as generous citizens of loss, robustly and fully, or conversely as misers and complainers, reluctant and fearful, always at the gates of existence, but never bravely and completely attempting to enter, never wanting to risk ourselves, never walking fully through the door. I think our times are asking us to go deeper, to walk through that door of self-knowledge, understanding, compassion, forgiveness, kindness, kindness, kindness. I hope that this program has provided some solace to everyone who's listening, and thank you so much for allowing me to do this program when it's probably as unexpected as poetry is too, and, um, and my love and thoughts come to all of you that during these times we will find our ground, our peace, our joy, which is within and is the timeless, which we must focus on. The time bound will always change, but it's timeless. Is what we need to focus on at this time, I believe. Anyway, thank you so much. I want to thank you, Nevada, for doing the engineering for this program today and my gratitude to local talented banjo instructor Michael Bruin for his original theme music for this program. It was a wabi-sabi, imperfectly perfect or perfectly imperfect program, and thank you for, for, um, for bearing with me today. And until next week, oh, no, until next month, until next Thursday, December 3rd, Please find a moment for yourself today to take a deep breath. It is so good for body, mind, and spirit. And then, and learn about how to breathe even, you know, I mean, this book Breath is really astonishing. And there are some things online you can watch about it too. So, okay, deep breathing and then focus on the things that are going well in your life. There will always be those things that aren't. Focus on the things that are, though, with gratitude. And then give yourself a loving and compassionate hug or a pat on the back for being uniquely you, for doing the best you can at this time, and for being here now in this moment, the only moment which exists the now, on the amazing planet we call Earth.